Welcome to the House of Lee NYC. Come on in, meet regular folks doing interesting things, and get tips for resourceful living. Hi, I'm Lee. Thank you for stopping by. Today's episode is all about wine with sommelier L.A. Perkel. In fact, we cover so much that I've decided to break it up into two parts. So in this week's show, L.A. shares with us the process of becoming a sommelier and how she turned that certification into a private wine brokerage service. We also talk about some other interesting things. For example, we'll cover the wood barrels in which wine is aged, which wine pairs well with hamburgers, different types of pizza, and sushi. Next week, L.A. talks about champagne and gives some recommendations. She'll also break down that term found in many a wine shop. You know the one I'm talking about, tannins. <laughs> she will also weigh in on box wine, screw top wine, and corked wine. You'll also learn about wine turning into vinegar and which system to use for recorking opened bottles of wine. There will be much, much more. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on part two next week with L.A. Perkel. Now, L.A. and I met up at a lovely bench in Central Park in the Ramble. That's the section of the park that is famous for bird watching. Here's the thing. I thought it would be fun to take to our interview a bottle of wine with the label covered up. I thought it could be really fun to have L.A. examine it the way in which only a sommelier would. <sighs> but you know what happened? The bottle broke. And simultaneously, a bird pooped all over the recording equipment. And you know what? L.A., what a professional. She, without skipping too much of a beat, rose from her perch on her side of our bench and immediately started verbalizing her wine notes. It was amazing. <laughs> so let's go now to my interview that was recorded on location with wine expert L.A. Perkel and the broken bottle of wine in Central Park, as I mentioned. So L.A., welcome. Thank you, Lee. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. And thank you for agreeing to trek out to Central Park. Oh, what happened? Oh, no. Are you serious? And again, a bird just pooped on me. Wow. Oh, well, in some countries, it's good luck. Uh -oh. I guess we're in Mazel Tov. What broke? Okay. <gasps> what do you smell, L.A.? Blackberries, black cherries, slight tinge of plums, maybe tobacco, slightly floral. Can you tell me what kind of wine that might Red be? wine. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I can't. I mean, because it's it, telling a wine, you know, like blind tasting also involves tasting, right? And tasting, putting wine in your palate tells you so many other stuff, like the quality of the tannins. Is it extremely drying or sappy on the palate? So that would tell me maybe it could be a Cabernet Sauvignon or a Syrah, right? How high is the, t is the acidity levels? Is it medium? Is it high? Like those type of stuff are things that I can only taste 
if I have the wine in my palate. Now, of course, there are certain characteristics that you smell or nose. What does that mean, nosing a wine? Smelling the wine. So basically pouring the wine and then putting your nose into the glass and trying to smell the flavors or the aromas um, from the wine. So now I just want to show you the wine that you nosed a moment ago. So Rioja? Yes, Rioja, absolutely. So Rioja is the name of the wine as well as the name of the region where this wine com comes from. And the great variety is Tempranillo. Mm, Cepas Antiguas is the producer. And it's uh, has gently seeped into the grounds of Central Park. <laughs> is this the one? <laughs> yes. Oh. This is the wine bottle that broke, folks. That's awful. <laughs> Actually, it's funny because Rioja is one of my favorite regions, ah. of course. And um, I just had an, an 05 Vigna Tondonia a couple of nights ago, and it was absolutely amazing. Um, you know, great bottle. So... A sommelier. In my mind, that means super, super expert on wine, and you have that little cup, Tastevan? Tastevan, Tastevan yeah. the, the cup on the chain, walking around the restaurant. So tell me, what is it really? You are correct. And, and, you know, the way that you describe what a sommelier is, really a sommelier is someone who is there to help you or guide you through typically a thick wine list in some restaurant, although that has sort of changed in the last 10 years or so. The the trend, I think, is more well-curated, fewer pages, but truly examples of wines that speak of the kind of wines and regions that you know, go with the cuisine that the restaurant is probably serving, and then here and there, some of the sommelier's favorites. So yes, a sommelier is an expert that helps you navigate a wine list in a restaurant, but not all sommeliers work in a restaurant. Do you work in a restaurant? I don't work in a restaurant. I currently work as a private wine consultant slash wine curator. So I have private clients that I deal with. I help choose and buy their wines for them. And these wines range from everyday drinking wines, something that you open on a daily basis, you know, for your family dinners, but also special occasion wines, for instance, birth year wines, anniversary wines, and of course, and of course, cellar collectibles. So, what is a birthday wine? and or an anniversary wine, what is that? So um, a lot of people tend to look for special wines for special occasions. The year they were married, the, the year that perhaps your spouse was born, and um, they, they look for those type of wines to celebrate a special occasion. Are there any funny stories that go along with birthday slash anniversary wines that people have requested? Not that I know of. I think it's more of truly um, drinking a wine that was made the year that you were born. It makes for a, I think, compelling story. It sort of maybe, you know, reminds you of perhaps what could have been happening harvest-wise the year that you were born. You know, it's a fun thing to kind of look up and then experience it 21 or 51 years later and say, 
oh my gosh, I'm drinking a wine from the year I was born. Um, and, um, you know, we were in, in Verona over the summer and we drank Jonathan, my husband's um, birth year wine in this one of the oldest restaurants in the world. And it was absolutely amazing. Well, I mean, it was a 50 year old wine, right? But it's been sitting in the cellar since it was released. So it's easily over 40 years and to drink it, you know. So a 50 year old wine, it still tastes good? It was unbelievable. I mean, of course it's changed dramatically. So as the wine ages, right, all these chemical components, right, change as well. So you go from what you call the primary characteristics, mostly fruit-driven um, aromas and flavor profile. So plums and maybe gooseberries and maybe citrus, you know, in white wines and in the reds, like I said, cherries and strawberries. And as it evolves into middle age or old age in the 30 to 50 year mark, these characteristics change dramatically. They become maybe more like dried fruit in the realm of fig or something like that. And then maybe earth and you start getting some of the truffle and the mushrooms, maybe the leather. So all of that are just chemical changes that happen in the wine as it ages. So I'm just listening to you and I'm thinking, I'm picking up words like gooseberries and truffles. So to be a wine expert, you kind of have to jump into the world of fruit and vegetables then to be able to pick up those hints and notes of tastes and flavors and smells? Yes, yes. Um, but you know, I think there is no mystery to building your or a person's wine skills. I think everyone is capable of building their wine skills. And how does the everyday person like me do that? It's drink? like you said, well, drink, <laughs> of course, but drink is, of course, I mean, Be practice, responsible, right? Folks. Practice, practice makes perfect, as they say. But the truth of the matter is, it's paying attention to what you drink, paying attention to the aromas and the flavor profile that you get when you drink a wine. And how right? do we do it's, that? What, what, because what all does these that are, even mean? I'm like, I open a bottle of wine and uh, I pop the cork or uncork it, right? Is that the right way yes, to say that? I say uncork that. it. Uncork it. Yeah. And then I let it have a little air because this whole business about decanting, giving air to the wine, is that right? Mm -hmm. And then I pour it in the glass. I smell it because I know I'm supposed to do that but then I take a sip and I go hmm <laughs> I think it goes back to it goes back to paying attention to what you're smelling I think the most basic or a good starting point is dividing or basically segregating the aromas that you smell. You smell fruit. It does not even matter what fruit it is. Does it smell fruity to you? And I think we all have an understanding of what fruity means. Okay. Um, or does it smell more earthy? Do you smell something a little bit more spicy? Do you smell something herbaceous? I mean, I think we have an understanding of what mint smells like, what rosemary smells like, what sage and thyme. So as long as you segregate initially, what the aromas that you smell are in that first sniff and the first taste in your palate, you build your vocabulary from there. So as, as soon as you start building, like, it becomes automatic to you, oh, this wine is fruity. Oh, this wine is more savory driven. <laughs> 
And so I feel stupid asking this, but I'm going to ask it no anyway because question. because if some if I have this question, someone else might have it. When you say, uh, "What does it smell like? It's fruity or herbaceous?" Does that mean they're putting those things in the wine? No, no. So, so if they're not putting a blackberry or a gooseberry or a truffle in the wine, why would we then smell hints or notes of that? So these are all. This all goes back to chemistry, right? So there are three general aroma characteristics. One is the primary aromas. The primary aromas are aromas and flavors that are that come from the grape variety itself, right? So Sauvignon Blanc's Sauvignon Blanc's typical fruit characteristics tend towards the citrusy, right? Something tangy, something pungent. So any time that you make a wine from Sauvignon Blanc, those are the general components that you get. Citrus, you know, lime, the grapefruit, the gooseberries that I mentioned, and then something herbaceous, fresh cut grass, hay, straw. Those are, those come from the grape variety itself. That's just how the grape variety expresses itself in the wine. So another another way that these aromas and flavors get into the wine is from the secondary, what you call the secondary aromas. That is derived from the winemaking process itself. So for instance, in a lot of Rioja wines from Spain, in Did the red wines, Rioja, Rioja R-I-O-J-A, Rioja, which is a region and also the name of the wine that comes from, from Spain, a lot of times you get that coconut flavor, and that comes from the interaction between the Tempranillo, which is the name of the grape from which the Rioja is made, and the specific American oak barrel that is used, widely used in Rioja. So the barrel or the wood in which the wine is housed does matter? It matters because it does have certain characteristics that it, it um, contributes to the finished wine. So it's not like uh, if I wanted to make wine, I would go to Home Depot and get the wood there to make the wood barrel. Is there? No, there are specific areas where these barrels come from. There are specific ways that these barrels are toasted. And then the degree of the toastiness also affects the uh, characteristic of the wine. So if you want something that is more cedar driven, for instance, slightly more herbaceous, then you go for a wine that's more lightly toasted. If you want the caramel and the you know, the chocolate characteristics, the vanilla, you go more for the medium to the high toast. So there are certain areas in Portugal and particularly as well as um, France. Is it Portugal, actually? You're primarily, the You're primarily, the yeah, I'm trying to think, yes. <laughs> but that's fascinating, the wood barrels, that they are coming from a special place and that they're treated in a certain way. That's fascinating, too. When you're doing your certification and things to become a sommelier, do you study or touch upon that? topic? Yes, because it goes back to learning how to blind taste. I mean, it's really not that big of a of a deal. I mean, it's it's important for you to be able to taste and tell where the wine comes from, right? And it's important to touch on the sources of the barrels, the the quality of the toast because that tells you where the wine comes from. So, for instance, a lot of 
California Cabernets use French oak barrels, right? Versus say, like I said, Rioja in Spain uses American oak barrels. So like those type of stuff and the characteristics that the barrels, how the barrels influence the finished wine also gives you the idea of what wine it could be that you're blind tasting. That's fascinating. I want to jump back to becoming a sommelier. How did you even enter the world of wine? Mm. So I was always in the restaurant business, and I think we all know that 90% of the people who work in the wine business are actors, and I'm not. So I figured... Wait, what what, do you mean by actors? You know, like uh, performers, right? I mean, this is their day job. A lot of, uh, at least a lot of servers in New York, this is their source of living. And I'm not an actor. I never was. <laughs> and um, and so for me, it was a natural transition. I felt that I had, I began to be more interested in food. And I felt like it was a natural segue into the wine world. If you're just listening in, we're talking with L.A. Perkel, a wine expert and sommelier. Please join us as we continue talking about the wonders of wine. What a, what did you do in the restaurant business? Were I waited tables. Oh, okay. Yes, I waited tables. That's a hard job, no? Um, it was, but I was much younger then. So. <laughs> I didn't care much for, yes, absolutely. I had, you know, zero responsibility besides showing up uh, to to the restaurant and uh, providing, you know, the the service. But anyway, so that was how I got started being in the restaurant business and being a a server and have a greater interest in food and and eventually eventually wine and so I started taking wine classes initially with the uh, Sommelier Society of America so I have a a Sommelier certificate from the Sommelier Society of America and they're based in New York they are in New York and then I um, started taking more wine classes with the International Wine Center also based in New York International Wine Center is actually a program provider for this education slash certifying organization that's based in London called Wine and Spirits Education Trust. That's where my diploma and my advanced certificate come from. And how long does that official process take? And by official, I mean the classes and then the certification process. So for my basic Samoya certificate, I believe it was like a six-month process where you go in you know once a week um, in a formal classroom setting and then there's a an exam at the end of of the six-month class and then for the W set it's slightly more involved with the Wine and Spirits Education Trust. Of course, it depends on what certification you're going for, right? I have a diploma in Wine and Spirits, which is level four. So should I pursue my wine education, my next stop would be the Master of Wine program. But that program, besides being more involved, is invitation only. Oh. So <laughs> Now, what is that, and if you can comment on it, what is the difference between what you've just mentioned and the Court of Master Sommeliers? Yes. So Court of Master Sommeliers is really more for the individuals who are who want to be in the restaurant world, running wine programs, 
um, you know, being in charge of a beverage program. So that's more service driven. Well, and it's funny you say that because I was on their website last night and they have a freebie PDF uh, when they're listing their their course uh, information Mm -hmm. and descriptions. They have a PDF on how to serve the beverages, how to serve the wine and the champagne. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. So you should always serve wine and spirits on the front on the right side of the guest is that right correct and it says that you serve women before men and Mm -hmm. you go clockwise and the host is last unless there's a guest of honor that person gets served first do you Correct. remember studying all Correct. that? Um, I, ta- I touched on it. Certainly service is also part of the, um, the program with the Wine and Spirits Education Trust, but it's less involved. A lot of wine critics in, in the UK, for instance, are, are affiliated with WSET and not Court of Masters. So it's, it's, a, it's just a slightly different well, they're different programs, yes. right? Yes. yes. And the other thing that comes to mind is I knew someone a while ago, and she was doing a sommelier program, and she flunked the test. Is that common? It depends on where you are, right? Okay. In your certifying, in your in your pursuit of certification, I have found that with my level one through three, it was slightly less challenging. You know, I mean. Challenging in a sense, less challenging in a sense that, yes, there is uh, some sort of, you know, the tasting and the theory part of it. But when you go into theory, it's not as deep as when you pursue your diploma and certainly your Master of Wine certificate. Can you just... I'm sorry. A bit different, you know, I mean, so when I was pursuing my diploma program for a good six months or maybe a year, I had a tasting group that I met with every Sunday for six hours doing both the tasting and the theory part. It's just it's just so much more involved because they're they expect you to actually go understand a little bit more of the nuances and and all this other aspects of the winemaking the business side of of it and and the wine itself Um, and so can i ask you something when you mentioned theory wine theory can you give an example of what that would be like in my mind i can't even imagine wine theory what what are you writing about A, a good example is part of the test that i slightly remember is that a question was basically a picture of a label right a label of the wine okay so now looking at that label you have to be able to tell what the grapes are in that wine okay right some information about the producer now whether the producer you know what sort of um, winemaking regimen he or she does like how long the um, how long the aging process is what sort of wood how much like new wood is used in the in the in the process of aging the wine what sort of fermenting process involved in making that wine and the other thing is you're looking at the label you don't know whether it's a white or a red because it could say Cote d'Oron right Cote d'Oron could be white or red but this particular wine I remember I don't remember vividly what it was but somehow I remember that this particular producer only produces a red but that's an information that you don't randomly know right it's it's being involved in the wine business and the wine program you 
become like some of these information become just something you know like it's something that you remember well i find that fascinating to you must have such an ability to concentrate to study wine i just i feel like it's a lot is it a lot it is a lot it is a lot i mean when i was <laughs> for my last test um I remember covering our walls in our old Brooklyn apartment with, you know, maps of every single growing region in the world um, with the notes of... You had you enough know, wall space? Mm, yes, yes, yes. That's amazing. And do you remember all of those things? Well, I don't remember it as much nowadays, to be honest. Um, I mean, I have a, I have a working... But you know what? Uh, for those of you out there, LA travels at least a couple of times a year outside the U.S., is that right? I do, I do, yes, um, and and a lot of it also involves drinking where it's available, <laughs> right? So, what is it about wine that you love, or do you love wine? Let me start there. Do you love wine? I love wine. <laughs> I love wine. What do you love about it? I find it fascinating. Why? I feel that it's one of those things where, regardless of how deeply you are into it, and regardless of how much studying and education and certification you earn you never get or will never get into a point where you feel like you know everything right because even if you know the producer you drink you drink this wine on a regular basis the quality of the vintage changes on an annual basis right so it also slightly varies the the wine on an annual basis so i it's just such a fascinating fascinating subject and I find that it heightens any and all like social interactions. I love food. My husband and I, when we travel, we tend to plan our travels around the restaurants that we want to go to. That's how I travel. Right? I'm, I'm less of a museum person. I'm yes. more of a, a food person. Yes. Well, and you know, to travel and to explore foods, you're also getting to know the culture, I feel, in a way that you don't get to when you go to a museum. I, I feel that way, but I also just, it's something that I enjoy tremendously. It's something that gives me pleasure and enjoyment. And so I tend to pursue that more than anything. And so I think going back to that, I find that an interest, a deep interest in food is a natural segue into an interest in wine. That's certainly how, you know, I became interested in wine initially. I eventually became a better cook because of my understanding of wine and wine flavors. Um, I never cooked. I grew up in the Philippines. I never learned how to cook because my mom cooked. We had always had someone to cook for us um, and so initially I did not know how to cook um, but as I got deeper into the wine business I have experimented a little bit more in the cooking well and I can attest that uh, I've seen LA's lunches she's got quail eggs in there and all sorts of goodies so she has come a long way <laughs> I have come a long way my mom would be very proud yes so let, <laughs> let me ask you a moment ago you had said something about the vintage and my question is is wine like a favorite brand for example if I have brand X I love this wine is it going to be similar a few years 
years later if it's a different vintage how does that work do they keep making things under the same label and year or for example uh what's a good one a malbec let's mm -hmm. say a company x's malbec oh i love that one is it going to be constant over the years or not because of the vintage it is fairly constant you know, especially with the everyday drinking wines, you're looking for a specific style. And so you tend to go to that, you tend to produce a similar style. It might vary slightly from vintage to vintage. For instance, say, perhaps 2015 is a riper vintage. So you have some a Malbec that's really fruit driven, a ton of that boysenberry and plums and blackberries and all that good stuff. Now, maybe in 2016, it's slightly cooler of a vintage. You will still have those primary characteristics, the plums and the boysenberry and the blackberry. Maybe the structure is not the same. Perhaps it, it's not as full bodied, perhaps it has higher acidity, but it's not that dramatic of a, of a difference. So let's talk about the food pairing again. What's a good wine to go with a hamburger? Ooh, Zinfandel is always a good a, a good um, go-to. And um, if I'm going to have pizza. Pizza. Oh, actually, I just tried, I tasted, not just, I've tasted this wine multiple times, but I had a, a recently, again, opened it. It's a sparkling red called Gragnano from Campania in, in Italy. And it's wonderful with pizza. And it's slightly sparkling red. I mean, it's not something that you would think of, um, but it pairs really, really well with it. And it's not expensive at all. It's probably 16 bucks or something like that. Oh, wow. And so uh, when we're talking about pizza and the, what's the name of the wine? Gragnano. That sounds amazing and fancy. And I want to know what type of pizza does that go best with? Does it go best with the wood oven thin crust or the New York style greasy? So, um, or both? I would say both because what you're going for is, what is it? I mean, it's the acid, it's the high, the tomatoes, right? You have something that has this really like high acid component in the food, right? Gragnano, because of the the fizziness, the slight frizzante characteristics, I think goes really well with that tomato-based dish. You know, for something that's greasy, what you want, what you're really looking for is something with an acidity to cut through that richness and the greasiness. So perhaps you might try like a Chianti Classico, right? Or perhaps a Dolcetto di Alba. And we're with, still on pizza. Um, we're still on pizza. Okay. We're still on pizza <laughs> and we're still on to Italian reds. So, nice. yeah. All right, and then let's uh, upgrade our food choice for a moment. So what would I have with sushi? Mm, okay, sushi, besides sake, of right, course, right? right. Um, I think Riesling, fantastic um, with sushi. Um, Gruner Viltliner. Um, actually, there is a Spanish white um, called Chacolina. It's from the Basque region of Spain, so it's just sort of on the north, not sort, it is on the north Atlantic coast. And it's got this beautiful, like, citrus rind, really distinct minerality that is almost like sea salt, saline-like in quality. It's fantastic with sushi, because I feel like it's like squeezing lemon on the, on the dish, and it just brightens um, the dish. And, and what so is I the name I'll, of that again? Chocolina. 
I like the name of that. T X A K O. Sounds like a dessert. I'm sorry. How do you spell that again? T X A. K-O-L-I-N-A. And there's multiple producers. Chocolina is the name of the wine. What else could be? I said Gruner, right? Um, certainly anything sparkling. I mean, I would do champagne all day, every day. <laughs> Let's leave the rest of my interview with L.A. until next week. Again, we'll talk about a whole lot more, including which set of wine glasses is best to buy if you can only purchase one set for your home. So how would you like people to reach out to you if they want to connect with you further? Email is always best. It's laperkel at gmail.com. So L-A. P-E-R-K-E-L at gmail.com. And if you want to check out my Instagram, my handle is at L-A-S-Y-N-O-File. Now I'd like to give a shout out to Patricia in Arlington, Virginia and Rohit N for attending my webinar on podcasts. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you are interested in starting a podcast, please save the date and join me here in New York City on October 25th for a one day workshop called CastCon NYC. It'll be a hands on day long workshop. I'll have more on that in next week's show and on houseofleenyc.com soon. Please follow me on social media at House of Lee NYC on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. And hey, join the House of Lee NYC Facebook group that I'm starting. We'll talk about all the things we've covered in this show. If you have questions, you'll reach me directly. It'll be so much fun. And hey, my offer for a free show pen still stands, you know, until the end of September 2018. So just know that you'll have to forward your mailing address so I can actually send the pen to you. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by my company, citybikecoach.com. Learn, ride, better. citybikecoach.com. So thank you so much for stopping by. Take care. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.